0: Well, first of all, thank you for your service to the parish, to everyone that you catechize. I hope this, uh, this time will be fruitful for you. As you know, I'm sure you've heard this ad nauseum, and maybe you've repeated it yourself, that if we're not developing our relationship with God, we can't help others do the same. And so maybe other other talks or other parts of formation have been more geared towards the service that you do, helping, helping others. This will maybe be more focused towards ourselves, towards our own relationship with God, towards our own prayer life. And maybe, as is fitting, maybe make a reference to this or that in regards to, to ministry, to service. To teaching others to pray. But my plan here here is to give a talk. I Were any of you at the youth retreat? I think it was in October. Anyone else? One? No, two? Okay. So much of this for you will be repetition. Which is okay. Repetition is the mother of learning. But I, I've basically taken the talk that I gave to the the youth retreat and just adapted it just a tiny bit, but basically that that main main talk. And we actually have until three o'clock that, is that correct, Deacon Jason? Correct. So we have an hour and 15 minutes. So I'm gonna make you suffer as much as I can. (laughs) I'll talk for, I think for about a half hour, and then I'll lead us, I'll expose the blessed sacrament, I'll lead us into um in a guided meditation for the remainder of the time and we start with prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit heavenly father we thank you for this day we thank you for this opportunity to spend time with you to spend time with our lady and with all the saints We ask You to send Your Spirit down upon us, to open our minds and hearts, to guide our time together. We ask You to continue to reveal Yourself to us, Yourself as the loving Father that You are. We ask You to expose any areas in our hearts of sinfulness, of imperfection, of impurity, especially any area of defensiveness. We ask for your light upon those areas. We ask you for the grace to let go of those shields. We ask you instead to fill us with your love and with your grace. We pray all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So the topic here is God is listening, God is listening, God is listening to us at all times, but especially when we intentionally take time away for prayer, and in a special way in front of the Blessed Sacrament, as we'll do soon. So that is true, God is always listening. If we believe what we profess, that God is all-powerful, then we don't need to doubt that at an intellectual level. But, of course, in our experience, in our emotions, we have many reasons to doubt that. Maybe, maybe we've prayed for something and it didn't come true. Maybe for a marriage to improve. Maybe for children to return to the faith. Or even for a certain sign for God's existence. God, if you exist, God, if you're really there, give me a sign. Maybe we've asked for these things and God didn't respond in the way that we wanted. Maybe that has led us to doubt or question at some level whether God is really listening. I'm going to propose to you that, yes, God is listening definitively. But we may need to adjust what that means or what to look for In regards to God's listening to us. So a way to do that is by first considering what prayer is not. They call this the via negativa, the negative way. Not negative in the sense that it's bad, but just the negation, the ways that things are not. That helps us to put the proper contours to understand what things are. So what is what what is prayer not? What isn't prayer? I'll say some, maybe some alarming or surprising things here, and I'll un- unpack it. But prayer is not a tool for us to get what we want. I want to find find a spouse. God, give me a spouse. Is is not a tool for us to solve our problems. God, I'm broke and I have bills to pay. God, bail me out. Prayer is not a tool for us to change other people. I want Bob to be, are any of you named Bob? Yes, Bob. Rodrigo, are any of you named Rodrigo? I want Rodrigo to be different. Not a tool for that. Not even a tool to make decisions. Some of you may have heard me give the newspaper example of, I'm, looking, I'm, I'm considering whether to apply for or to take a job at a news com, newspaper company, and I'm asking God for help. God, help me to make this decision. And so now I go looking for signs that God may be giving me signs for me to decide whether or not to go work for the newspaper company. And the next morning, the newspaper boy rides his bike and he throws the newspaper and it usually hit, it just lands on the floor. But this time, this morning, after I prayed last night for a sign, this morning, the newspaper hits the door and lands on the ground. And I go and open the door and I look, there's nobody here. And I look down and I see the newspaper rolled up, landed sitting in front of my door and I think, oh, maybe this is the sign. Maybe this is the sign that God wants me to go work for the newspaper company. I'm proposing that's not a good decision-making strategy. But to the point to the topic of prayer, that's not primarily what prayer is. You know, I've been I've been talking about this with some friends and I have a a good friend who lives in, in Twin Falls and I I've been doing the Exodus 90 program for, for a few years, and this friend has as well. And just a couple of days ago, I I learned that he wasn't doing it this year. And somebody told me the reason why he wasn't doing it. And so I sent him a message, and he and I talk about these things all the time, these, these signs and, and different approaches to prayer and whatnot. So he, he knows my position on it, if you will, of not looking for signs. And so I, Learned that he wasn't doing Exodus 90, and I sent him this text message, and I said, uh, I heard you're not doing Exodus 90, do you want is to, there, is there a reason, or do you want to talk about it, and, um, and he called and, and left me a voicemail, and, and he just gave me his reason, and then he said, uh, but you know, now that you've called me, now that you've texted me, maybe that's a sign that I should really do it. And he's, of course, making fun of me. He's not actually thinking that that's a sign. But... So I, I, I've shot myself in the foot. I might have, I might have convinced him that me in him was a sign for him to do it, had I not set that up. But anyways, I hope you see the point here that, yeah, to see the sign, I mean, his reasons for not doing this program are good reasons. They're reasons that he has discerned. They're reasons based on good decision-making principles. Exercising of prudence. Exercising of circumspection. Of docility. These are the virtues associated with decision making. These are good decision making principles. To pray. And to ask for a sign. And to seek signs. As a way to make a decision. These are not good decision making principles. That's my my point here. Okay. So these are ways. These are things that prayer are not. So what is it then? What is prayer? According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the very first line of prayer is a vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. A vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. That's what prayer is. This is the definition a vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. So the question for us as we approach prayer, as we approach the Lord, as we approach the blessed sacrament, is not first of all, what do I need? What do I want? What problems do I want solved? What answers do I need? What solutions do I need to make, etc? What decisions, etc? The question is, do I want to have a relationship with God? Do I want to know Him? It's in an analogous way, it's similar with our friendships and with our, especially marital relationships. To have a friendship, to have a marital relationship in order to receive something from the other is not good. Of course, we do receive things from our relationships as gifts. And we can be grateful for them. But to seek the relationship for the sake of the relationship. That's the aim of good relationship. And this is also the aim of good prayer. To seek the Lord in order to have a relationship with the Lord. If this is what we want, then prayer is for us. And as we do this, we discover that God does listen to us. And God does answer us. He answers us with Himself, He gives us Himself. This was not easy for me to discover. I'll share a personal note here that. I was born in a difficult family, very loving in many ways, but very fractured and splintered in many ways. And growing up, there was no routine in the house, no regular family meals, no family prayer, no weekend vacations or weekend activities or no family vacations. My mother was pious, my, my father had passed. My father died when I, was, when I was very young. My mother was pious. She went to church on Sundays and prayed the rosary. But I would say, and my mother is very, a wonderful woman in many ways, and, and I owe my faith to her in many ways. But I would say, she, in, by large part, she was not looking for a relationship with God in those pious practices. She was looking for these four things. A way to get what we want. A way to solve our problems. A way to change other people. A way to make decisions. And God can work with that. You know, I've done that. She's done that. We've all done that. Okay. God can work with that. So this isn't about shaming anyone. But the result of that... For her, in my perspective, growing up, coming into adult, coming into life and, and recognizing family dynamics and things, proper human development and so forth, recognize that she didn't develop into a mature adult, into a mature tree. You know the, the image of an, enormous trees, enormous oak trees, They're stable. They're sturdy. Birds come and land on it. People come underneath it, have picnics, enjoy the shade. Maybe you know people like this in your life. Maybe you are someone like this. I tell you, I'm certainly not. But we all can become someone like this. Because this is who God is. God is this mature oak tree. And the more that we live prayer in this way, in this perspective that I'm proposing, we allow the life of the Lord to develop in us. To let go of our attachments, our perspectives of what our life should be like. And to try to conform and to try to get God to conform to that, to instead to let go of that, and to allow the Lord to develop His life in us. This is what happens as we approach prayer as relationship—a vital and pers- vital, vital—the same root as vida, vita, life. A vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. This is prayer. So, without this sturdy foundation, I rebelled and went away from God and from the church. This happens. If we grow up without this sturdy foundation, what we receive, I mean, not like this is the only explanation to things, of course these things are very complicated, but if we don't receive that foundation, that solid, that, that fertile ground, as, as young seedlings, we don't, we don't take root, or we ourselves as a plant don't take root, so we don't develop properly. And so then we often look for ways of living elsewhere. But the Lord is always going after us. The Lord is always pursuing us. And eventually, I came back to the Lord and started, started developing a prayer life, which at first was very much like these four ways that I'm saying are not proper. For many years, that's what I, that's what I pursued. And of course, in some ways, I continued to do that, continued to use prayer in those ways. Continue to be attached to my own attachments, to my own preferences. Continue to try to get God and others to conform to me. So there's a process, there's a journey. But to be shifting away from that. To be shifting towards seeking the Lord. With the end of seeking the Lord. With the end of having a relationship with Him. And so I found a lot of solace, a lot of consolation in the parable of the prodigal son, with which we're likely very familiar. I'll walk us through it a couple of times. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that falls to me and he divided his living between them not many days later the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country and there he squandered his property in loose living and when he had spent everything a great famine arose in that country and he began to be in want so he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and this and is found. And they began to make merry. There's so much... Th- to be said about about this parable and I just want to highlight a couple of things that relate to this theme the younger son being a son of the father wanted something from his father father give me the share of property that falls to me in a sense this is a prayer in 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 these, what do we call them? These less than ideal ways. A tool for us to give what we want, a way for us to solve our problems, a way for us to change other people, a tool to make decisions. This is certainly one of those. Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. And the father here said, Yes, okay, here you go. Here's what you're asking. And, of course, there's the parable from, from Jesus. And we see that the, the son takes that money and goes to a faraway land and loses everything. He squanders everything in loose living. And he finds himself poor and miserable, miserable and destitute. He was not ready to receive that. So one reason, I mean, one thing we can derive here right, right away is one reason why we don't receive what we want when we ask for it is because God loves us. God knows what we need. God knows what is good for us much more than we do. So if we ask for something and we don't receive it, one reason for that is God saying, I have something better for you. If I were to give you this, you might become attached to it. You might misuse it, misappropriate it. might lead to your ruin. I'm going to withhold it from you, so that I can give you something better. Myself. Okay, he went and spent everything and was hungry and thirsty and realized that he even wanted to eat what the pigs ate. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate. And we know the swine for the Jews are unclean in every way. So he was lowering himself as much as possible here. He would have fed on the pods that the swine ate. This led to his contrition. To him recognizing, Okay, I have been living my life according to my own plans. And this is not working out well. I'm ready to go back to the father's house. And here he has a little contrition, a little spiel that he prepares of repentance, of confession. He says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was at a distance, His father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Just imagine the scene. He has prepared his little spiel that he's going to give to the father when he gets back home. And the father is, who knows, maybe he was working in the field or he was sitting on the porch or he was inside looking out the window and he sees the son coming and he sees him at a very large distance. And he gets up, drops the tools or whatever he's doing, gets up and runs towards him. See, we can put a parenthesis here. Something that we want to be cautious of when we talk about mercy, which I'm about to do here in a second. But a little caveat here is that mercy requires something. It requires our contrition. It requires our conversion. It it doesn't require our perfection, but it requires us to say, God, I'm sorry. And this is another expression of God's love. God loves us too much to force Himself upon us, not even to force His mercy upon us. He would be violating our freedom, our free will, Our having been made in the image and likeness of God. He would be violating that if He forced His mercy upon us. So to recognize that we need to repent does not take away from God's love. Quite the opposite. To slip into the air that we don't need to repent is what takes away from God's love. And this is seen everywhere. Everywhere in the Bible. Everywhere in the saints. In every catechism in the Catholic Church. Okay. So we need to repent. But then when we repent. We think we need to perfect ourselves. Before we present ourselves to the Lord. And we have our, our spiel all prepared. We have our lists. We have our plans. Our resolutions. And we bring that to him. Thinking that this is what we need to do. Thinking that this is what's going to fix our lives. But then we encounter something else. We encounter the Father seeing us with compassion and running and embracing us and kissing us. And he begins his little spiel here. Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts us. to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. This is what the Lord wants for us to rejoice, to celebrate with us, our return. Whether it return from being far, from being away for a while, or our daily returns and our hourly returns. I was away from you, I have now returned. The Lord looks at us and says, I want to put on you the best robe And put a ring on your hand and shoes on your feet. And I want to kill the fatted calf and commune with you, celebrate with you, rejoice with you. This is, of course, I mean, this is an image to many things. Heaven, finally. The fulfillment of this is is heaven. Of course, here on earth, the closest thing we get to heaven is the mass. So we see these, these symbols of the mass. But more personally, more interiorly, more more intimately, I mean the mass can be very intimate, of course, but it can also be very distracting, it can also be it can also be it can become routine, it can it can become rote. so yes, the mass, but in our hearts. In the secret of our hearts where no one knows us but God. He wants to relate this way to us. To put a robe on us. Not, he's not waiting for us to perfect ourselves for this to happen. He's ready to do this now. To put a robe on us. A ring on our hands shoes on our feet, to kill the fatted calf, to eat and make merry. For this my son, for this my daughter, was dead and is alive again. He, she, was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. They began to make merry. We can now live our lives out of this place. You don't, we don't have to live, leave this place. We have to go through highs and lows to summits and valleys, consolations and desolations. Yes, that's all part of the spiritual life. But all on the foundation of this right here. To be making merry with God. So the point here of prayer is this, is to live in this place, to live in this type of relationship with God. Now, perhaps there are some fair objections. Okay, so, but do we not ask God for what we want? Do we not ask God to solve our problems? Or to change other people? Or to make decisions, help to make decisions? Okay, there's a place for that and maybe we can think about it this way so I'll go through each one of those. I want to find a spouse. God, give me a spouse. Okay, I mean, I'm not saying we can't pray like that. God can take our prayers as they are. Again, we don't need to perfect ourselves or perfect our prayers. We want to present ourselves to the Lord as we are and I'll go into that more when we do our meditation. But But really what we're asking here is God, help me to seek you and help me to seek a companion who is also seeking you. God, help me to find that companion. God, I submit to your timeline. Give me the virtue of patience so I can suffer well with you as I await this companion. Or whatever else it is we're asking for. A way for us to solve our problems. I'm broke. I have bills to pay. God, but bail me out. God, I'm sorry for my mistakes. Give me the virtues of perseverance so I can keep my head up and get through this trial. Show me the people and the resources that will help me. A way for us to change other people. I want. Rodrigo, I think it was. Not Bob. Bob is already perfect. I want Rodrigo to change. I want him to be more likable. Less annoying. Maybe we can ask for something different. Maybe something like, God, give me the virtues to love the unlovable. Even my worst enemies... Give me what I need to love them. I'll share a challenging quote here by Dorothy Day. I don't like this quote because it challenges me too much. The quote is, You only love God as much as you love the person you like the least. you only love God as much as the person you like the least. That's hard, but that's true. We don't want other people to change. We want us to be transformed. And we're transformed by God's life growing in us. I told to make decisions, Newspaper, example, okay, maybe instead, God, give me the virtues to make good decisions. Give me docility, give me circumspection, give me prudence, give me foresight. Introduce me to experts in the areas in which I need to make decisions so that they can guide me. God, help me to find these people. God, help me as I go through this process. Yeah, sure we're seeking God in all of this. Just a quick, gosh, I think I have a, a thorn on my side in regards to signs. When we, we know this from psychology, this is, this is something I think, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but it's something basic in, in the psychological world that we put on blinders, right? And this, I mean, there's an evolutionary reason for this. We, we can't take everything in at once. So we put on blinders so that we can navigate through the world. Well, when we ask for signs, when we ask for hints or what have you, we are by definition only going to see the things that please us or the things that fit into the mold of the things we're looking for. Whether we know it or not, in some, in some level, it's a, it feeds our the system that we have already in place. Now, could could God work with that? Well, of course. God has given many, many people signs over the centuries in the scriptures, in the saints, apparitions, locutions. God told Mother Teresa to go start the missionary as a charity. Am I saying that that wasn't God? No, of course not. But that's not, not in any of these cases, in any of those cases, were they seeking those signs as a way to make those decisions. They were seeking God and they were seeking to grow in virtue. Mother Teresa was a sister for 40 years. Living poverty, chastity, and obedience. Totally submissive to God's will. And in this, God appears to her and tells her to go and do this. And she tells her superior. And so her superior tells her to wait for years. And she does, calmly, patiently, not at all bothered. Because she's already submissive to God's will, communicated to her through her superiors and through her state in life. This is a better disposition than looking for signs. That's that's my point. Okay, enough of that. So relationship, prayer, growth in dependence of God. Prayer is a vital and personal relationship with the living and true God. So just one less little story here before. We transition into this. Deacon Jason, would you be willing to hand these out for me? Just a story from ICYC a few years ago, actually before I went to seminary. The. Thank you. The. Are we all familiar with the big Eucharistic adoration sessions that they do at ICYC or other youth conferences in the big gymnasium type of setting? With music and lights and incense and lots of priests and and it's very intense, very powerful, very emotional. And what often happens is when the monstrance is coming around, people are having very, excuse me, very powerful emotional experiences. And oftentimes, people begin to cry. The youth begin to cry. Minister, youth ministers, seminarians begin to cry and it's a very it's a very beautiful sight it's very very intense very powerful of of God's love of God's invitation into a relationship with him and of course many conversions happen during during these during these big events these big conferences okay but one time so i was I, was a, I went as a chaperone from here this is before I went to seminary and I took thank you I took some students I worked at a alternative boarding high school outside of Arco and there's you know rough kids there. These are kids that either were court ordered to go there or it was kind of their last chance before going to jail. And they came from all over the country. And you know, some of them would, would come to come to Mass and some started coming here to youth group and and there were I think four or five of them that went to ICYC one year. Well in any case we're there and this is starting to happen. Right? The, the monstrance is coming around, and people are kneeling. People begin to kneel, and this one, this one teenager, his name is will say his name is Jim. He shared with this. He shared this with me later. That when he started seeing this, his first thought was, "Well, this is very weird, <laughs> very strange. What's going on here? Why are these people kneeling in front of this?" gold looking thing and then as it started getting closer some people begin to cry and started saying what crazy cult is this who are you people what are you doing and he said he's having these thoughts and then the monster gets closer and closer to him and he starts to notice that all of his memories of his sins of his bad things that he has done ways that he has hurt others all of these things come to the surface and he begins to panic and his heart's beating and he's he's afraid he doesn't know what to do and he starts telling he starts saying to himself no this can't be true no this can't be true no go away no go away and the monster and cut monsters comes right in front of him the priest carrying the monsters stops right in front of him and he's kneeling he was kneeling because everybody else knelt he didn't want to stand out and he's kneeling and he looks up the monstrous. And finally he says, I'm sorry. And he said instantly, everything left him. And this is what was offered to him at that moment. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, and they began to make merry." So this is what will be offered to us again, of course, every moment of every day, but in a special way here in adoration. What I'll do is, I'll just take a minute to light these candles and to expose the blessed sacrament then I'll, I'll go over here in the corner and i have a microphone over there and i'll i'll read this i'll i'll go through this article with as a group but feel free to follow it um on, on your own paper feel free to highlight things or note things as as we go